Hello and welcome to the Moonshots Podcast. It's episode 61. I'm your co-host, Mike Parsons, and as always, I'm joined by the man from Brooklyn himself, Mr. Chad Owen. Good morning, Mike. How are things in Sydney this fine afternoon? I guess it's afternoon there by this point, right? (laughs) We just squeezed into the afternoon and I can report back that having spent the day yesterday in Melbourne, Australia, where it was overcast and rainy, I've returned to my home city to bathe in sunshine, some spring sunshine, so I feel quite ready to learn and to learn on how we might innovate, how we might make breakthrough ideas happen. And I am rather excited about this show because it's one of our favorite authors on one of our favorite topics. So this is like, this is a double-headed chat. It doesn't get any better than this. Learning how to learn. I mean, how uh, geeky and meta can you get uh, <laughs> with that? It's, uh, it's our, our final, our fourth episode, bringing together several different books by our new favorite author, Cal Newport. It seems like uh, every, uh, every series of books that we, uh, that we profile here becomes our new favorite author. But these books uh, are some of Cal's first books that he wrote, How to Win at College, How to Become a Straight-A Student, and How to Be a High School Superstar. And some of you may think, why in the world are we talking about books written for uh, high school students or college students? But Mike, I don't know about you, but you know, going through these books and, and through these clips, you know, I was kind of taken back to school, right? Back to mm. the basics here. Well, not only was I uh, taken back to basics, it, it these three books are Cal's three books about essentially how to learn are not only incredibly practical breakdowns um, on on how you might learn a new skill, uh, devour some new information. Uh, for me, Chad, I, I want to take this chance to kind of almost to pitch you and all of our listeners on why learning is so important. I think I find myself constantly uh, being introduced to new ideas and I want to know more. Or in the case of the projects that we're working on with clients, we have to master all of these new technologies, new ways of working, uh, new consumer trends. And so I feel like learning is is a constant in this digital age. I don't think anybody can sit back and say, I know enough. And so learning is 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 right back in the spotlight in, in the way in which we work in a knowledge economy. I mean, if if it's knowledge economy, then we need knowledge. We need to be able to break things down and understand how things really work around us. Mm-hmm. And so I think my pitch for you about learning and the pitch for you and our listeners about this show is this is at worst case, this is like a refresher on how to learn, but I can guarantee you there's some great thinking in here that might help you learn better or in, I think what, what Cal Newport really offers is how to learn quicker and more efficiently, don't you? Yeah, he has some really interesting mental models and frameworks and even formulas uh, about how he thinks about learning. And again, I, those of you that are, are still, still a a bit skeptical about, you know, going back to high school, so to speak. Often the best innovations come from unexpected places. And I've found that 
some of my favorite and most impactful learnings have come from unexpected places. So yeah, those of us that might be entrepreneurs with uh, decades of experience, I there's still some things that we can learn about learning. And uh, everything that Cal talks about in all of these books are things that I wish that I had known and done and practiced when I was in high school just because of how much this the skill of learning can compound over time. So I'm really excited to dive into the show. Yeah, me too. I think that what's really important is that everyone gets ready to, if they will, get the cheats, the tips, the tricks on acquiring new skills, learning new things. That's what I think we've got an offer for you. And I just want to take one moment, Chad, to thank everybody for hearing the call of the last few shows. We've been saying, come on, guys, we know there's thousands of people listening to the show now. And um, I've been particularly uh, strong on encouraging everybody to jump into iTunes or their their um, jump on their iPhone and to review the show and rate the show. And I can tell you now that we now have uh, five five-star reviews on iTunes and over 24 ratings of the show. And I just want to say thank you to Dean, uh, to Kat, to Maria, and, and I, I'm going to try and say this correctly, Guamere, who've all uh, put comments and been just wonderful in their gratitude and thanks for the show. So we, we, we really do appreciate it. And if anyone is on a train, on a bus, or sitting down listening to the show, please take a moment to go to your favorite podcatcher, give us a rating, give us a review. It's uh, We really do appreciate it. It brings new listeners to the show. We're super grateful uh, for that. And, and, Chad, if we want folks to catch up with more information or some of the old shows, where might they go for a little bit of extra moonshots? That would be moonshots.io, of course. And you can be like Oliver and uh, thank you, Oliver. And you can send us an email directly at hello at moonshots.io. There you go. So here we have it. You are ready. You are primed. You're like, Mike, Chad, let's get into learning. So my question for you, Chad, is where shall we start? We found some really good clips of an interview with Cal and then uh, Cal kind of delivering some of the content himself. But if our listeners weren't already convinced by uh, by your arguments, Mike, uh, we're going to hear from Cal about why it's so important to develop good study skills and how many of us were doing it so wrong when we were younger. Well, for those who don't know Cal's background, this is, again, Phi Beta Kappa, Dartmouth, MIT, PhD, now uh, teaching at computer science at Georgetown. This isn't the slacker's manual. This is the <laughs> perform at your peak and really achieve all that you're capable of achieving manual and do so again without having to grind simply by having the systems uh, in place to allow that, right? Yeah, but it is kind of a slacker's manual in the sense that the, the people who followed these techniques, those who just did it on their own or those who came along later and followed the book, it's just significantly less grinding work than the average peer. So it will, I mean, this is my warning. It'll make you feel like a slacker if you use these techniques because there is a staggering amount of inefficiency in student study skills. Uh, never again in your life are you going to find something which there's so much inefficiency and, and you can get so much gain from so little tactics. But at college, it's, it's the absolute largest inefficiency I've ever observed as you know an author, an entrepreneur, an academic that you can be in the top 5% of your class 
while studying less than most of your class with relatively common sense study overhauls. That's just how inefficient most people are. So if you're a student, take advantage of the sweet spot that you're currently in. That's genius. So to be a peak performer while being a slacker simultaneously from the from your own self-perception and from how the world views you potentially. Um, and it's cool too, because in deep work, you actually frame that in the sense of deep work is now simultaneously more rare and more valuable. So the inefficiencies in the college marketplace, if you will, of getting good grades is so ridiculous that you can literally show up in the top 5% performance-wise while being in the bottom 5% slacker-wise if you take the time to systematically uh, optimize your study habits. This is great. Ah, the inefficiency. Uh, You know, I think one of the reasons, Chad, a lot of people don't really know so much or don't have depth in their knowledge and understanding is that they they study and learn things very inefficiently. I, I think there's a huge opportunity in what Cal's talking about here. I think if we have a desire for mastery, then we have to embrace learning. And I think that Rather than what happens in work so much, a lot of people can talk about things like, oh, yeah, I know about design thinking. But as soon as you actually talk to them, you realize they have a very shallow understanding of that given practice. I think that a lot of these problems stem from the fact why people don't learn or they don't know enough about something, why they have the absence of mastery is because the way they approach study is so inefficient. They think it's all about reading a book, writing out all the notes, rote learning. And, and actually what, what we were going to discover on this show is there's so many better ways to approach learning. And I think Cal's got a lot of great ideas for us. What I heard in this clip, so Mike, if you know, put your consultant hat on, like if you're going into an environment or an industry that has a lot of efficiencies, like what is it like begging for? That has a lot of inefficiencies, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. You're, you're looking at how might I disrupt this? How might I do this in a radically better, more efficient way? Yeah, exactly. Like that's where disruption and innovation is like birthed is in those inefficient environments. And so again, it was just really fun for me to think because I never really thought about my academic experience in that way. And I wish I could have been that slacker that was able to study in a way and get uh, results without maybe having to put in so much time. But Cal has what I think is a really fantastic method for that knowledge transfer and that practice and like that development of mastery that you were talking about. And so we're just going to dive straight into, we've got, I think, three really great clips here all around this idea of active recall. Tell us about the number one way to learn and uh, kind of the worst way to learn. <laughs> which yeah. you juxtapose in the book. Yeah, if you, if you only remember two things from this book or from this interview, one is work produced is time uh, multiplied by focus, and the other is active recall is everything. When it comes to learning any type of material, in my opinion, the only activity that really matters is trying to replicate the information from scratch without looking at your notes as if you were lecturing a class. If you can do that, you know it. If you can't do that, you don't know it. It's brutal. It's intense. Uh, it's also incredibly efficient. It's the most efficient possible way to learn. The opposite of active recall is passive recall, 
which is where you're reading over information again and again. This is the cliche that I highlighted in my textbook. How many times can I read the highlighted paragraphs of my textbook before I drop to sleep in the middle of the night? That is by far one of the least efficient possible ways you can learn. Active recall is the only game in town. Any other activity, throw it out of your study skills arsenal. So the crazy thing is, Chad, I use Active Recall, which I'll, which I'll share with you in a bit, but I had no idea that's what it was. I, it was not a formal uh, method that I had learned. It was just organic. And here's the thing. Um, I, I'll give you a quick example of how I use Active Recall, and I think it demonstrates in a really practical way what Cal Newport's talking about. I want you to imagine that later after this show, I'm about to give a big uh, keynote talk, big audience on a big topic, get them really excited, share with them some new ideas. My measure of readiness right now would be my ability in shorthand, in note form, to write out the the 10 or 15 main points that I'm going to make throughout the talk. So, it would have to be coming straight out of my mind. I just should be able to write it naturally down. This active recall of my subject matter is the way I judge my readiness to teach something or to give a keynote. If I still require the aiding and the prompting of a PowerPoint slide, that tells me I really don't know the content that well. Mm. And here's the thing. If you use active recall, which is the ability to uh, remember a subject, to learn a subject so well that you can almost just teach it uh, without any aids and just comes out of your mind naturally, you are much more ready to adapt to your environment. For example, if you walk into a meeting to talk about design thinking and you really know it, you can approach it from many different points of view because you know the base theory and methodology so well Mm -hmm. it's when we've used that passive recall it's just what we call rote learning so if you if you if you don't just get a simple question and answer structure to test your learning if it has to be dynamic and agile i.e like it, it should be in life then you stumble then because you're like oh i forget what comes next i don't really know the subject matter i think what uh cal is suggesting here is that If you want to learn something, you should be able to teach something because through the art of teaching something, you are forced to know the content wholly, fully and completely and and very different to that traditional highlight something and wrote learn it. Mm -hmm. And it's not just be able to teach it, it's to be able to recall it from nothing, you know, which is very important. And yeah, and, and I can attest to the fact that Mike, you, you don't need PowerPoints when you are instructing or facilitating or teaching a room. And it's funny because now I'm putting two and two together of like, Oh, that's why Mike's process works. (laughs) But, but, but it's, but it's doing the hard work before the event or before the meeting or whatever it is. Like it's, it's about doing the hard work to truly uh, know it. And I think, I think actually Cal's even got some thinking here that helps us to move beyond it. And I I wanted to ask you, Chad, like now that you're seeing that, how are you framing how you want to learn? Are you already starting to see new or or new areas or is this a reminder to how best to learn? The the parallels that I'm drawing for myself and 
the biggest shifts that I need to make if I really want to embody what Cal's, Cal's proposing. I mean, I would love to adopt everything from digital minimalism and so good they can't ignore you <laughs> and deep work, right? Like I just like, it's like a whole life transformation here. But this passive recall, I also kind of draw parallels to just the enormous amounts of content that is available to us and that we consume. There's, what is it, like 800 hours of content uploaded to YouTube every minute now? Gosh, um, gosh. So it's, you know, if we had all the time in the universe, we couldn't watch everything that was up on YouTube. But I think this passive consumption of content, or in the case of a student, you know, the, the passive highlighting and re reading and rereading of, of, of materials um, is not activating the right parts of the brain, you know, where we can store the memories and, and be able to recall them. And so I'm an avid consumer of podcasts and videos and books and everything. And so I think the shift that I need to make is into the, into the active teaching mode. So I'm going to dial down the amount of content that I consume and really dial up the amount of conversations and teaching that I'm doing. So if, if you follow me on LinkedIn, you've probably seen you know the results of that. I'm all of a sudden popping up uh, producing content, uh, even though I'm kind of sworn off uh, social media. But I think it's really because I want to embody this active recall and, and teaching approach that that Cal has been advocating for over a decade now. Yeah, yeah. So so let's jump into this next clip because it talks right to that. And it, and it really is Cal talking about how we can replicate the knowledge and the information that we have really from scratch as if we were teaching it. One of the most exciting things, because I read your book after reading um, a few books on the kind of the more classic science and what the research shows on this stuff, you, in terms of lab work, vis-a-vis -vis your research with these top-performing non-grinding students. Um, and they call it, of course, the fluency illusion, which is what everybody does. They reread their notes. Oh, yeah, I recognize that. It's I'm fluent in that. And it's an illusion. So your point, and I want to have you say it again because it was so perfect, and I want to make sure everyone gets it, is you need to quiz and recall the material, shut the book, get rid of your notes. Can you describe for us again what you need to be able to do to pass the standard of knowing it? Yeah, so the only activity that matters is can you replicate the information from scratch without looking at any notes as if lecturing a class? And that, that final piece is important. That means it's not just replicating from scratch a solution, but you're able to annotate what you're doing in a confident and convincing manner. So uh, a lot of this means you're going to be speaking out loud and you're going to get some weird looks, which is another reason why you probably want to study someplace isolated because it does make you look a little bit crazy. Uh, but this, this applies across all types of material. So, you know, I was a, a computer science major and an art history minor, so I got a lot of practice on two very different types of material. But practicing concepts from art history, uh, I would be lecturing. I would just lecture out loud, just as if I was talking to a class. And when I was practicing, say, a math problem for computer science, I would be, I loved just a white piece of printer paper, replicating the proof or idea, writing it from scratch on that blank piece of paper, and explaining every step as if I was at a chalkboard. Okay, so why are we able to go from here to here? Well, we're really just simplifying terms, and you know, here we're applying this whatever, whatever, right? Uh, so it's not just you can regurgitate an answer, but if we put you in front of a classroom, people would understand what you're saying. So it's annotating as you replicate the, the, the uh, answer without looking at any notes. Again, it's really hard in terms of mental energy you're consuming per minute of work. But 
it works so well. I used to talk about this with, with studying for art history is it ingrains the material so efficiently and so fast that you do it once, you know, it. you never have to go back to it. So it's very efficient that I would find myself days later on an essay exam. And I could remember sort of word for word the right sort of ideas or observations to put here because there's something about teaching something out loud from scratch that ingrains it in your neurons much more effectively than almost any other activity I've ever studied. Yeah, this this is really powerful. The 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 act of without aid sitting there taking people through an idea in completion versus that dependency I think a lot of people have in business on the PowerPoint slide prompting the idea. You know, we always talk about don't read from the slides when you when you're teaching people how to present. But this is this is really it and if you can shift from passive recall to this active recall i think you will find that the as as cal was saying the knowledge is really really deep inside you and um there it is so true uh, when you present your work without aids that process does hardwire it it writes it into your human database so deeply that you, you'll never really forget it and actually in this this uh, next clip what what he actually does what cow does is he talks about how you actually some of the keys to active recall but chad before we get to that clip i just wanted to ask you if you were going to practice this active recall right now, what would be some of the tests? Let's say you had to learn uh, about artificial intelligence, for example. How would you think about exercises or things to do to stimulate this active recall of the content and the, and the information that you're going to learn? Cal almost like glosses over this fact, but when he's talking about learning all of the content for art history, he said that he only like delivered this lecture to no one once. And he was able to recall it word for word weeks later on the exam. Like when I heard that, I was like floored that this process is so effective that this is how you become the slacker is you just, you read and you learn and you deliver this lecture to no one. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you have learned and will retain all of that information. I think for me, what I'm doing now as of, you know, October, 2019 is I'm learning something and then I'm immediately sitting down and recording a podcast about it. Perfect. Um, Perfect. So in a way I'm like, I mean, I'm in an empty conference room in an empty office building at 1030 at night. And I think you and and I doing this podcast is like part of us ingraining the learnings from all the entrepreneurs and companies and authors. Mm. So mm. it's funny because I think for me now I'm, I'm drawing the connection to, hey, actually, I'm starting to put this into practice through the art of podcasting, which is really exciting and fun. Yeah. And then I think to build on that, if the work that you're doing together with me and all of our colleagues on clients requires the same material, it gets reinforced, but then you're able to apply 
practical learnings of seeing it being applied in the real world and it informs what you read you read some more you podcast some more you do you apply it in the workplace more and then it becomes this this huge amount of momentum and expertise like the body of expertise you have from thinking it through sharing it teaching mentoring applying it that is where i think mastery really lays yeah Um, but before we get too excited about that there are a few key things to active recall so let's have a listen to what the master himself cal newbert has to say about active recall key with active recall is so depending on the type of material there's uh you form different types of questions to do the active recall and so i get into this in the book that you know you if you're in a art history class you're going to be forming these question evidence conclusion clusters that you can test yourself on if you're in a math class you're actually gathering a lot of math problems that you're going to practice with but in all cases, in the end, it all comes down to you trying to answer problems from scratch. But the nice thing about it is it has this winnowing effect. So you go through all the problems that you need to know. If you get it right once, you give a convincing lecture, check it off. You never have to go back to it again because of the ultra-efficiency of this method of locking things in. So that means the next time through, you're just looking at the, the problems that you didn't check off that time. Oh, and now you get most of those. Okay, now the next time through, it's an even smaller number. So you have this, this very sort of geometric progression of reduction of the amount of material you need to study because once you do this once, you know it. Most people that do a passive recall linearly scan everything as many times as possible. So it means that you are, you're spending much less time on the things you need the most help on and a lot too much time on the stuff that you know too well. And it's an incredibly inefficient actual uh, you know, allocation of your cognitive resources. I, I love this like compounding effect of this ultra-efficient way of studying hmm. in that the more the more you do it, the quicker you are to learn. So like for me, I, this, you know, it kind of sounds like a superpower. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't go near any krypton- kryptonite and you'll be fine, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think, um, again, reflecting on, on you and I recording this podcast and other, you know, courses that you and I are creating together, it's it's really, I have noticed that when I have either talked on this podcast or a different podcast or delivered a, you know, a lunch and learn or a training that I, I don't have to go back as much or even at, at all. I just, yeah, I think this fact that Cal's reiterating here, both from academic studies and his own experience and experience with with his students is if you recall from memory and deliver a lecture you only have to do it once for your brain to remember it and again i'm just like really fascinated at the superpower that that our brains have uh to learn in this way Mm. but it's very different from the traditional way because i do remember slogging through like specifically u.s history (laughs) Um, I just like, I was reading and rereading that textbook and just kind of middling my way through that, that class. If only I had had, (laughs) if only I had had how to be a straight A student back then. I know, I know, but it's not too late for us or our listeners because look, what we've established is the first big idea from Cal Newport, which is this thought of active recall don't have passive recall make sure it's active make sure that you're able to write out share present teach mentor your work in an unaided way and the whole aim is to quiz yourself to ask different questions of the body of work and to be able to produce uh, those answers from from memory and to make sure that 
I think our little secret source for Enchanted Mike is be applying it, whether it's in podcasts, in videos, in talks, lunch and learns, mentoring, applying it in the work that you do, and really try and apply it in many different ways, naturally and intuitively. And I think what you'll find is that you need to net-net spend a lot less time to achieve mastery. Mm. So I think halfway through the show, Chad, I think that's already a pretty big idea that we can all work on from Cal. Yeah, he said it was like the one thing, one of the two things that you uh, that you take away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, how, I mean, that's already exciting, but I think the best news, Chad, is the second half of the show, we got a whole lot of tips, tricks, and hacks that can help you make this active recall approach a reality. And without having to spend too much time on it, that's like the other great part. Cal's very mindful of time and how I think we as humans don't have a good con- conception of time, right? You know, time, t- you know, time, the same period of time can pass really quick or really short. Um, oftentimes when we're in a flow state, you know, we don't realize how much we've been working and, but we're making so much progress. So I, I love how he brings time into this, uh, equation. It was pretty quick, but in our second clip, he talks about this time invested and intensity of focus formula Yes, as being really important that often students just throw more time at it when actually you can get just as much leverage out of the intensity of focus. So yeah, we've got lots of tips and hacks from Cal on on how to optimize yeah. uh, your learning so that you can learn faster uh, and retain things better. This first one is near and dear to me because it mirrors a, a technique that I've been using probably for almost 10 years now. And it's about breaking up the time chunks in which you're working. So here's here's Cal talking about his his preferred and recommended way of breaking up your work. Yeah, my recommendation in that book was you go 50 minutes, 10-minute break, 50 minutes, 10-minute break. Uh, that's roughly the right ratio. The only caveat that I feel like I need to add now 10 years later because of the way technologies have advanced is be very careful about the break. In other words, you, you take the 10-minute break to give your mind some time to refresh and relax because it's very intense. If you're doing high intensity studying, it's very intense, but just make sure in that break, you don't do something that can wrench your attention away and put you into a different type of world that has its own obligations. So if you, you know, jump into an email inbox, or I guess if you're a college student, it would be more like maybe like a social media feed or on the Snapchat, and it throws you into a whole different mindset of like social interactions, for example, you're going to have a hard time coming back. So when you take your 10 minute break, uh, do something that's not going to completely change your context. Calm your mind down, go for a little walk, get some water, uh, look out the window, but but keep your attention pretty pretty much under wraps. Okay, so then I, I love this, this idea that don't blow your brain up is how I like to describe it. So when you're focused intensely, don't then go jack yourself up with more of the brain-stimulating, you know, social feed and, and kind of hyper-dopamine-rich non-restorative time, what, what would be a, a tip in terms of, well, what should we do during those 10 minutes? Well, it's helpful to keep in mind that for like most of my college experience, which is what I was drawing from in writing this book, this was really before an age of laptops, right? So you weren't, you weren't, you didn't have a laptop with you when you were studying. This was sort of before like Wi-Fi and laptops. And it was before, not even before smartphones, but it was before cell phones. So, you know, for most of my college experience, I didn't have a cell phone or a laptop. So just think back, 
what would Cal do or be able to do in this situation 10 years ago? And like, okay, well, he wouldn't have a, a cell phone to, to look at and he wouldn't have a, a laptop with, you know, email or the internet on it because you have the you have to go downstairs to the lobby of Dana Biomedical and wait for the public computer if you want to look at the internet, and then everyone could see what you're looking at. So what would be left to Cal in that situation? And basically anything that would answer you could answer that question for is a fine break. So for me, that often meant, uh, I'm going to go fill up my water bottle at the water fountain. Or like sometimes I'd look at the books on the shelf above me. I always like to play uh, bookshelf lottery. I mean, I'm a, I'm a nerd, I'm an academic, but, you know, bookshelf lottery, like, what's this? You know, just pull something off and look at it. It's stuff that's not going to blow up your brain, just give you a little bit of a breather. Yeah, I, I, I just think we can take so much from the structure. You, you mentioned the Pomodoro uh, technique, but this 50 minutes on, 10 minutes off. And I think, look, if, if you just imagine, Chad, that you could spend half a day, once a week, doing uh, uh, like say three hours in a row of 50 on 10 off can you imagine how much mastery you could acquire over the course of a year no i can't imagine it's too much (laughs) for me to imagine (laughs) But, but my point here is how many of us make that plan that time and stick to that time i mean yes it should be 50 on and 10 off i think that's pretty clear but how often do we just go to go to meetings and 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 sprint between deliverable and deliverable when are we taking the time for that deep work of assigning 50 minutes of just total focus 10 off then another 50 i mean if, if what i can produce in that 3 hours oh it's so much yeah <sighs> yeah i mean i had an epic productive friday last friday i, I think because even before my butt hit the chair, I set my t- my time timer. I do 25 minutes and five just out of habit. But sometimes if I'm in a better state of flow, I'll do 50-10 like Cal suggests. That habit, it, it's it's like every time you get to the end and you're like, ooh, I did well and I want to do more. And you can't, you just keep going. And yeah, like you said, you get to the end of the three hours and you can't, you've accomplished more in those three hours than maybe you had the previous two or three days, even sometimes. I know, I know. The, the, the key thing here is make the time, stick to it. But we've got so, so, so many more. And I want to, uh, tips like we've got to come to, I think you touched on a little bit this idea of how much time and how much focus you put into into that learning and around that Cal's got this great idea so let's have a listen to him talking about and then this is in reference to time and focus spacing it out but can you talk to us, to us about the importance of spacing out our studying time uh yeah i mean so so this this is probably relevant on different scales um so so on on one scale there's the the notion of when you're actually controlling your time in advance what you're what you're really avoiding is these really long monolithic blocks you know 8 hours starting in the evening going to the early morning hours of all trying to learn one thing as you get more and more exhausted which has this very negative feedback loop because as you get more exhausted your intensity of focus goes down which means your rate of learning goes down because of our work produced formula so then it increases the amount of time you need to learn to work and as that makes you work longer and then your intensity drops even more and it's this sort of very negative feedback cycle and so what's more efficient from this standpoint is that you have these more spread out in the day and in the week 
intense burst because what you get by doing that is a much larger average intensity level, which means when you sum this all up, what you need in that total hours worked section or, or category of that formula is much less. So there is, it's, it's a little bit paradoxical, but sort of breaking stuff up, spreading it out actually means you're reducing the amount of time, even though it feels a little bit less aggressive or intuitive than just what's power. You know, let's, let's clear the schedule. Let's wait till night and let's just power all the way through things. This is like a smack my forehead moment, Mike. <laughs> because how yeah, many totally how, Well, how many times have you gotten to the end of the week where you're like, "Oh no, I have to get everything done on Friday." I know. And and you spend not 8 hours, not 10 hours. You spend 14 hours mm. on a Friday. You go in super early, right? You hit the gym at 5:30 a.m. You're in the office by like 6:15, 6:30 with your cup of coffee, and then you just go all the, you know, all the way through to 10 p.m. on Friday. And by the end, you're you're you so you might have started at like a 10 or 11 in terms of energy. You end that evening at like a 1. <laughs> and or, I think that's, or you go I think that's the, what cows. Yeah, or you go into the minuses, I think, because you're like, I have to get the workout, but I'm totally spent. Yeah. And so the the brilliance in what Cal's pointing to is rather than spend 14 hours where you might be working at peak performance at a 10 for the first two or three hours, but by the end of the day, you're just not being productive mm. at all. Mm. And so his thing is always work at a 10 in terms of intensity and just space it out such that you can maintain that intensity. Because you and I have had really great and productive uh, work days or work weeks, but I would say like three hours is probably my max yes. at operating at, at kind of peak efficiency. And then it goes downhill quite quickly. Yeah, and and, and a big part of that is is my effort to avoid meetings between nine and uh, midday. Because if I can largely protect that, it means at least there's a couple of one or two really good hours. And, and in the best case scenario, I, I will just stay at home an entire morning. And I, I've probably got one of those on Monday. I have to produce uh, quite a significant piece of work. And I know that, you know, I'll get up early, hit the gym, come back and bash out work for about three hours and then go to the office. But in a perfect world, this is a really interesting insight around uh, spacing it out. If I've planned my work well enough, I will do that same process on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So I've had three days out of a week mm. where I've dedicated the morning completely to this piece of work. And then on the Tuesday and Thursday, for example, that can be full of meetings and calls and everything like that. But that would be the perfect week because I've had I've let the the thinking sort of process a bit in the background or in the subconscious, and then I come back to it on the Wednesday, day of meetings on Thursday, Friday come back to it. That would actually might be my ultimate spacing it out. What about you? Yeah, I use a I use a framework where I have kind of I call them focus and buffer days. The focus days would be like your Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. The buffer days are kind of yeah where you stack up all your meetings. Sometimes I even uh, will go forward a week or two in my calendar and just put an all day event that says I'm busy so that no one else can schedule any time mm. um, on those days like you when, uh, you know, on that Monday or Wednesday, when you just really want to uh, be undistracted and, and make that, that, that progress. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, the next really important uh, idea that Cal has for us is is really around experimentation. And the funny thing is that uh, I am sensing something that I need to develop, which is more diversity in how I learn and more experimentation with how I learn. I, I think it's such an important thing. We sort of um, we find ourselves getting into a pattern or a habit and not changing. And sometimes we might find ourselves not even really, really doing the work. So let's, let's have a listen to Cal Newport now. Let's have a look, listen to him talking about pseudo work and this whole idea of experimentation. Pseudo work, as you called it, versus real work. Can you talk to us about that? That was probably my first sort of embryonic encounter with what became the concept of deep work. And in the context of a straight-A student, it was just this simple formula that seemed to be more or less correct the more I observed top non-grind students. And the formula was the total amount of work produced is a function of time spent multiplied by your intensity of focus. And yeah, it's a rough, it's not an actual equation, but the, the, the point in using that multiplication is to show that they have the same relative relationship. If you wanted to double your amount of work, you could double the amount of time you spent, but it could be equivalent to double the intensity of focus. And this is something I had observed leverage to great advantage by a lot of the really elite level studiers that I was observing in school. They could bump up that intensity of focus much easier than they could bump up the amount of time they had to spend that's awesome. And then the result of that was you mentioned something funny of like, you got so good at this that you were so, you know, ready for the finals that you didn't even need to go study yet. You didn't want to make your roommates feel bad. So you'd go pretend to go study uh, while they're pulling their all nighters. So that idea that intensity, when we jack that up, allows us to paradoxically get so much more done in so much less time, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny. It was just on Tuesday, I was talking to a Georgetown student who was reading straight A and using the strategies. And he commiserated on exactly that point because he has the same problem now. He says, I feel bad during finals period because everyone has this grim face on, like here comes the slog, you know, it's 48 hours without sleep and he was ready. Uh, but the, you know, the thing I like to emphasize for my own story was I started school not a good studier. So my first year of school, my grades were fine, not great. And then I launched a, a systematic series of self-experimentation in the fall of my sophomore year where I said I'm going to very systematically experiment with different ways to handle the main academic tasks on my plate. After that semester, I got a 4.0 in every semester until graduating. And I did not. There's no possible mechanism that would have made me much smarter in the summer between my freshman year and my sophomore year. So really, the only independent variable that changed between those two years was my study habits. So, you know, sometimes people say, well, you got all these good grades, but how much of that's really your study skills versus maybe you were just, you know, born really smart or something like this. But I have that self-imposed experiment that is really the skills that make the huge difference. I mean, it really can make a huge difference in the amount of time it requires to get really high grades. That story from Cal really sold it to me. Uh, <laughs> just because I, it, it's interesting because he says, you know, if you looked at a student when they first entered college and they were already really high performing, you could say, oh, well, like they're just smart. But he only made, you know, kind of good grades his freshman year. And then the only thing he changed was his study habits for his final three years. 
And the 4.0s kind of speak for themselves there. But Mm. I just love that he was willing to do this self-experiment on himself. And so what I'm taking away is, hey, maybe you were, you know, as a precursor uh, talking about this, Mike, but I I think you and I and and listeners uh, can take away that maybe we should experiment uh, with how we're learning and how we're teaching. Yeah. uh, Because... Well, we may not be in school, but, uh, you know, it could have dramatic effects uh, in our professional and personal lives. Yeah. And, and I think if you're looking for a simple tip on how you might move to that active recall is take a subject that you're learning. We were, we were, I was using as an example earlier, artificial intelligence. Let's imagine that I was giving you advice uh, as you're trying to, you know, master and understand artificial intelligence, I would say read a ton, take some notes, and then the first thing you should do is write a news article or, or a blog on, you know, the five most important things to know about artificial intelligence and sit down and write that article. Mm-hmm. Even if you're not ready to publish, the point here is it's um, setting yourself an experiment or a test that makes you recall uh, the things that you've just learned. I, I would give that as a great tip for experimentation. I wonder, Chad, do you have uh, a different sort of test uh, for active recall for me? If I was learning something, what would you do and what would you recommend to me? I was trying to think of how to make it like a simple daily practice and the first thing that came to mind was, mm. uh, you know, Cal shares the story of uh, talking to himself in the library stacks. Well, w- what if we were to talk to ourselves in the shower, right? So it's, you know, it's like a, an enclosed safe space. So yeah. um, maybe our partners might think we're weird if they're walking by the bathroom. But, um, <laughs> you know, like that could be an interesting uh, experiment to try. So it's like think back on something that you learned the previous day. And then just teach it to yourself in the shower. That could be that could be an interesting experiment. My wife is away this weekend, so I, I can do it without worrying about <laughs> anyone overhearing. Although my dog, yeah. my dog might think I'm pretty weird. <laughs> well, look, I think any of those uh, suggestions are just simple acts of active recall to test yourself to see how much you really know know something. And I think the the thing that we come back to, apart from using active recall and making, you know, good uses of time, like 50 minutes on, 10 minutes off. I think there's like rounding out these sort of hacks and practical advice. There's a really big theme uh, to Cal's advice for us and the learnings that we can take from him, which is about planning the activity itself. Because I think it's very easy to either be distracted or to allow other things to get into your calendar. So let's have a listen now uh, to Cal Newport, really helping us learn by planning daily tasks. So let's talk about planning your day. I'm a big believer that the morning is the right time to make a plan, right? Not the night before, because the night before, you don't know what you're gonna be doing. Are you gonna be out late? Are you gonna be at a movie or a party? It's not a consistent time to make a plan, but the morning, you know you're gonna wake up and you know you're gonna eat breakfast every morning, and that's the right time to look at your day ahead and plan what you're gonna do. Now, I think a big mistake that students make often is that they use a to-do list, where they just list out, oh, here's all the things in the perfect world that I would wanna get done today. 
I don't believe in to-do lists because you're ignoring both how much time you actually have free during the day, you're also ignoring how long those tasks are actually going to take. And if you don't actually acknowledge those two pieces of information, it's impossible to make a good plan. So I recommend instead doing what I call time blocking. Actually take a sheet of paper, write out the different hours of the day on that paper, block out all the hours that you know you have obligations like classes or meetings or meals, for example, and then look at what you have left. Those free blocks are the blocks of time you actually have for doing work during the day. Now you can make your plan by taking those free blocks and assigning specific work to them and doing so in a realistic manner. Don't take your problem set for a math class that you know deep down is going to take you a few hours to complete. Don't put that in a 30-minute block. Make sure that you actually have three hours of time for it and so on. So your plan should conclude with you actually having a schedule for your day where you've assigned specific tasks the specific blocks of time that you know is going to be free. To me, that's a quality schedule that you can actually use to get through a day in an effective manner. Sounds a little familiar, huh? <laughs> oh my gosh. Like this this is the seed of the idea, yeah, that he that he put into Deep Work, the first book yeah. that, that we brought to the podcast. Much like Cynic, you can start to see how all the books kind of tie together as a body of work on how they see the world. But, you know, Chad, the thing that was coming to my mind as I was listening to that clip is it's like batch your email, look at uh, social media as infrequently as humanly possible, and if it's not planned in your agenda, you have to have this rule. If it's not in the agenda, it's not happening because, I, I mean, every day when I go through my to-do list, I'm confronted with things that didn't get into the agenda, like other things push them out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's don't, don't you, it's so true. You, if you want to plan a huge deep work session, you got to go in and you talked about it earlier in the show. You got to go put it in and you got to lock it off and you got to stick to it. Yeah. I, well, I don't do it enough. I mean, I don't actually go into my calendar program and block this time out. Uh, I really need to get back into that habit. But a, a secondary benefit that I loved when I had been doing it consistently is it really helps you look back and see the work that you have been able to do. Oh, yeah. And so for me, I think there's a couple of different modes or contexts that that I'm in when I'm doing my work. So there's like I I I don't really have labels for them, but you know, there's, there's the, I need to generate ideas and content and, and, and create mode. And then there's the, I need to be really highly focused and kind in more analytical and dissecting kind of mode. And then there's like a very passive, a uh, passive mode. And so those are the three kind of modes that I find myself uh, working in. And mm. I try to map those modes to my energy levels and I think Cal gets into this much, much deeper in deep work, but it's like, I want to be sure that like you, I'm a morning person. So like, if I know that I have to be kind of on fire and produce that I need to block out that time in the morning and then the, the lower uh, energy activities I push into the afternoon so that I can do my emails and my phone calls and my status updates and all that later. Mm. Why do you think I'm a bit like you? I am sometimes good at blocking out time and planning it and so forth. And then it, as a habit, it falls away. I don't know what it is. Do we get too busy? Do we just, why don't we, it's such a powerful thing. And, and I loved your idea of being able to look back and say, how did I spend my time? 
Like that, I mean, that's if you don't measure it, like you can't improve it. But why do we kind of, we stay disciplined for a while and then we kind of drift off. Why does that happen? For me, I think it's because I don't have a daily ritual. I love how he talked about just do it in the morning. You know, you're going to do something for breakfast, like whatever you wake up, you brush your teeth and then block out your time. I often, I'm, I'm a bit of a batcher. So like, I'll take a lot of similar tasks and I'll, and I'll try and do them all at once. But I think maybe I've been trying to bash my calendaring as well. So I just need to like, not try to plan a week or a month into the future and maybe just be focused on just the day ahead. Mm. So maybe you and I can hold each other accountable to wake up in the morning and block out our day so that we're sure that we're committing that time that we need to, to do the most important work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, the last thought we have around hacks, tips, and tricks is really an odd, whether you talk about Pomodoro or getting things done or the myriad of uh, structural task-based management tools, this, this last clip in this bunch of hacks is Cal talking about how you can really see the role for this sort of task management approach and some of the tools you might use to do it. So let's have a listen uh, to Cal Newport talking about getting things done. So the other piece of time management is actually managing and corralling all the obligations in your life. Our goal here is to make sure that you're not keeping track of obligations only in your head, which can be a source of stress. We also wanna make sure that you're not forgetting different obligations in your life. So this idea that you don't keep any obligations in your head is not something unique to the students I studied. It's actually an idea that's been around for a long time, even in the world of business. There's a guy named David Allen who introduced this to the world of business, and many of the top executives in the world follow this same idea. So how do you make this happen? Well, I have a simple suggestion for you. Keep a small notebook with you in your bag all day long. Throughout the day, if something pops up that's a new obligation in your life, you agree to meet someone for a study group meeting the next day, whatever it is, you write it down in the notebook right away. So in this point, it's out of your head, it's written down somewhere. Now that's half the battle. If your mind doesn't believe that you're gonna later go back and look at what's in that notebook, it's not going to forget it. It's gonna feel like it needs to keep reviewing this thought so you don't forget it. So the second half of the battle here is when you're planning your day each morning, one of the things you have to do is take out this notebook, go through everything you wrote down in there, and transfer it onto some sort of master list where all of your obligations are written down and organized by type. So you write down those obligations on your master list. You look over all those obligations so that you can be sure that nothing's going to be forgotten, that you check this every day. And then when you're planning your day, you can take some of the tasks and obligations off this list and put them into your plan. If you do this, your mind will trust that as soon as you write down something on that notebook that it's going to get captured and it's going to get reviewed and therefore it can release its worries about it and release that stress. And also you can be sure that it's not going to be forgotten and it'll eventually get done. Yeah, this is, this is kind of the getting things done, David Allen, one inbox, one capture to rule them all uh, process. <laughs> so how do you, Chad, how do you make your... How do you capture those, uh, that litany of things that come up during the day? How do you do it? Oh, I, 
I've been geeking out on productivity questions like that ever since I discovered the original book, Getting Things Done by David Allen. It was probably, I don't know when the book was published, but I think I discovered it in 2005, 2006, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've probably tried a hundred different methods. The current, I'm not even joking. The current method that's really working for me is I just ask myself this question in the morning, and it kind of directs my focus for the day. So I ask myself, what three things am I procrastinating most on right now? And then I list those three things. Mm. And then those are the only three things that I'm doing that day. So if it's an obligation, it goes straight into my calendar. So if I know that it's a meeting, you know, it's got a time and a place, it goes into my calendar. But for everything else, I just ask myself that question, hey, what am I procrastinating most on? And that's actually been insanely effective at... Uh, getting me to do the things that I actually need to be doing. That's super. That's super. Yeah, I I have very much a thing of delivering, creating, or making one high-value deliverable. And in my mind, it is a meaningful piece of work. So today, I'm going to be in good shape because I've only got to lunchtime and I've already produced a podcast. Great. Tick. But I, I actually just aim to do that once a day, every single day at work. And it sort of compounds. And I only choose one one high value deliverable because sometimes that's really hard for me to make the time to actually deliver on something. And when I don't do it in my Todoist application, which manages all my to-dos, I actually reschedule it to the following day and I don't mark it as having been done. And that, that ritual really helps me. But moreover, I think there's one other thing I just want to mention here, Chad, is I, when I discovered task lists and I've now kind of migrated into using the Todoist app, the biggest thing is I instantly add new to-dos, new tasks to the list. So I don't have the terrible feeling I used to have before task list, which was, oh my gosh, it's the end of the day. Did I remember everything? And that, that terrible feeling of going, oh, I forgot, right? And it causes this sort of stress, doesn't it? When you're trying to like remember everything in your mind. So I feel such relief of just adding things instantly to my task list. And it's once it's in there, I know I'll come back to the task list many times throughout the day. And I'm managing my productivity well without that stress of trying to remember everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've gone back and forth with with lists and no lists and mind maps and lists of lists, organized lists of lists and outlines. Um, and um, I think for for me, it it's been about simplifying. I love your idea of just one. You, I pick three things. You chose one. You're like, I'm just going to ship this one thing, yep. and then my day is a success. Yep. Um, I think there's a lot that we can learn um, from that. But the the important thing that Cal is talking about is the thing that happens in your brain when you've written it down somewhere, you know it's been captured and therefore that can clear space for other things in your brain. I do heavily use Evernote as kind of my external brain. So all of those like thoughts and call notes and you know everything else just gets dumped into there as, as a, again, like an external brain and repository for all of those things so that I can kind of clear up my mental RAM uh, for more important things. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, my gosh, Chad, I mean, we've we've cracked probably two or three really big ideas from all of this uh, work from Cal Newport on how to learn how to be a great student. We've got active recall, 
making sure you can can if you want to learn something, you should be able to teach, get up and without aid, just tell that story. And there's a whole bunch of techniques to that. There's certainly a big job around managing time, splitting between deep work and a break, planning your day, planning your week, planning your tasks. There's a whole lot of things that need to come together to be a great learner. <laughs> Some things are going to change, but we got we got one more thought from Cal, don't we, Chad? We got one more. Yeah, we had probably five or six more super practical tips that we could uh, that we could go on and on with. But the, there was an interesting clip from Cal talking about the kind of romantic idea of a scholar, and as kind of like a true nerd and academic it was just too good of a, a clip to pass up. But it's also an inspiration and a reminder for us that it's like really never too late to start learning how to learn better so that, again, we can kind of get those compound gains and returns uh, on our learning. I, I wrote this series of blog posts after the book came out a few years later called The Romantic Scholar that that really gets into to the psychology of building like a college experience in which you're you're engaged with the ideas, your life has a very reasonable amount of stress in it, yet you're still doing impressive things. It's going to open up impressive options. You're still showing off all your mind has to have, but it's this rhythm is so different. It's I work and then, uh, but it's not all day and I have my evenings free and things are spread out and I avoid heart attack semesters and overload days. And, and because I, I control my time and have reasonable schedules, I get really into the subject and I'm going to hear speakers on the thing I'm studying. And now I feel much more intrinsically motivated. So you can really craft using these type of ideas as a foundation, but then building off of them you can craft a really well, good academic college life, a life in which you're learning, you're setting up potential possibilities for yourself, but you're also uh, happy, your stress is low, your engagement in what you're doing is high. And this is kind of the standard I want college students to have. I mean, just I, I don't like this notion, which is increasingly common, especially at elite schools, that college somehow is a thing that you're going to white-knuckle and you're going to suffer through. Like, I got to get through it. It's all about just like, can I get through with heavy course loads and grind through? And somehow, if I do that, on the other side, everything will get better. But, you know, it doesn't. Life is just as hard on the other side as college is inside. Jobs are just as hard as it is to try to get good grades. So college is the perfect time to start adopting mindsets, using the type of ideas you talk about so much on, on your show, where you say, I want to craft a good and meaningful and successful, but also good in a lot of different aspect lives. That's the time to start that type of crafting. And something as simple as, well, let me rethink how I study is a good starting point for, for a really long journey that has a lot of important destinations. I really love that uh, clip, Chad, because what, he, what Cal Newport is pointing out to us here is learning should be a joy. And I, and I think you don't have to grind your way through it. It's so important to truly get into something and to discover and to explore an idea in all its shapes and forms, experiment, play with it. And I, I actually think Cal's given us a complete playbook on how to do it. How do you feel how is your learning state re being reset by Cal Newport today, Chad? You could replace the you know word work or profession uh, with college in that last clip, and I think it's as applicable, if not more. I I think work should be a joy, and you know by applying maybe even just one of the techniques that we've learned here on the show today, I think 
you know, can get us a little bit closer to finding that joy in everyday work. You know, we've got uh, ways of managing our time and schedules, even getting down, you know, to the hour by hour basis, how we're, how we're creating that intense focus, uh, which will mean that we don't have to maybe spend as much time on, on projects if we can up the amount of focus. And we've also got, I think, kind of like the master technique of active recall if we want to be learning in a very rapid fashion. Yeah, totally. And I mean, there's almost a whole nother show in learning should not only be a joy, but so should, so should work. I feel like that gets us on to, to the whole subject of where do we go from here? We've had four amazing Cal Newport shows. The series is complete to where do we travel next, Chad? This is always such a hard choice, but <laughs> I, I, I had suggested that maybe we take a slight break from, uh, from diving straight into another author. We've already got at least two other authors queued up with <laughs> at least another eight books between them. Um, it's October 2019, and there's really just been one story dominating the tech entrepreneurship startup world. And I don't have to tell you who it is, Mike. Yeah, I'm t- I'm coming to you, th- you know, over the digital airwaves, <laughs> sitting in one of their conference rooms. If that gives you an, a a better hint, yes, I, I I think there has been a wealth of discussion, not only about a little company called the We Company, or formerly known as We Work, but also and equally about the founder and entrepreneur who led this uh, wonderful company. There's been a lot of discussion and we have seen one of the most remarkable turnarounds uh, from good to bad. And literally as we're talking, this company today has literally less than four weeks before it runs out of money and yet two months ago was valued at $46 billion. Yeah. So I, what Mike and I would love to do is kind of wind back the clock, maybe learn uh, what we can about the original business model and the founding of the company, uh, the successes that it's had, and maybe some of the missteps along the way as a bit of a cautionary tale. Uh, for us, I'm I'm sure we could probably spend about six hours on the subject, but we'll uh, we'll distill it down into one hour of of interesting discussion and debate. We'll have to bring up some clips from the uh, Hot or Not show, Mike, because <laughs> if I remember correctly, I was uh, I was contrarianly quite bullish on WeWork. Um, ah. Well, you know, it's funny you say that because. I have quite a hypothesis about WeWork and uh, to... We can't give it all away here at the end of Cal's show, Mike. We got it. But but let's just say this. Um, There is a ton to learn because for all the negativity there is around the company and around Adam Newman, the founder, here is the truth. It's a great product. However, there's a big catch to that product. But we'll tell you about that in the next show. But it is a great product, so there's still a ton to learn. There's a ton we can take out of this. We can take into our own journeys to create new breakthrough products. I love that cliffhanger, Mike. Thank you for uh, closing the show on uh, 
on and with a bit of suspense yeah. and tension. I I love it. But it's not just WeWork that we're going to pick up and uh, learn from. We've got the authors Brene Brown and Jim Collins uh, on the docket, which will get us well into the new year and bring some amazing content from some really fantastic books. I haven't read both of their entire catalogs, but m- I've read most of their books. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to bring those onto the podcast and, and share them with you. Super. Well, listen, Chad, if you wanted, I mean, you could not have got a better reset on how to think about learning. I think what a gift from Cal Newport, not only on learning, but how we can strip all the noise away in life and in work and focus on the stuff that we can be our very best selves at. So what a great series. What a great complimentary series, I think, to the Simon Sinek series. It's been great to share it with you. I know it's getting late, but I hope tomorrow morning in New York, do you feel like you might awaken with a fresh vigor for learning? Yeah, I might even uh, be lecturing myself in the shower. We'll see. <laughs> you can do it at full volume, of course, uh-huh. uh, because the better half will be will, will be out on an adventure. Uh-huh. Um, I, I want to thank you for for sharing all of your thoughts uh, with me. I'm just loving doing the show with you, Chad. So thank you to you. Thank you to our listeners. All that great feedback. Remember, go on to iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using, uh, Stitcher, uh, Google Play Store. Tell us what you think, rate us, share it with some friends. We do really appreciate it. If you do want to track us down, you can do so at moonshots.io. Chad, I think we might be done. I think you might be ready for bedtime, right? Yep. One last walk with the dog and, uh, yep, it'll be, uh, it'll be Friday. But uh, I hope you have a wonderful rest of the Friday and a, and a great weekend. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Chad. Thank you to all our listeners. We've come to the end of the Cal Newport Learning Show. The Cal Newport series is complete. Next show, we go deep into the world of WeWork and beyond. Thanks for being with us on this journey. That's a wrap of the Moonshots podcast. <laughs>